This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. And I'm Keith Baker. And in this episode, we are going to study the various cultures of orcs across Corvair, one of the native races of Corvair, in fact. And uh, Keith, you've, you've written about this a number of times in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've got the Dragon Marks article you did in 2017 for orcs in the Gashkala. Um, and then you had another one back in 2014, uh, Orcs, Main Streets, and more, where you, you talk about some of the Orcs there. Uh, there's not a whole lot more other than those, and also what's in the campaign books, mm-hmm. uh, as far as I can, as far as I know. The uh, last time we did an episode, uh, we talked about Goblinoids, and we had Don Basingthwaite, and we talked about the Dragon Below trilogy. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things I thought. Uh, that came out of that was a little bit of exploration of the shadow marches and the gatekeeper druids and, and whatnot there. Uh, so I think that was a really cool view into that culture of what it could be like. Uh, and of course it's not Canon, it's a novel, but right, if course. you want some inspiration, uh, you can find some good stuff in there. No. And certainly Don is in my opinion, you know, just one of the best authors uh, f- within Eberron fiction. So I just recommend anything he's done. That's true. That's a fair point. <laughs> I would say so. if we look to the orcs, first and foremost, just as an overall concept, you know, one of the points coming into the creation of Eberron uh, was orcs had traditionally been presented as sort of just inherently evil, uh, you know, shaped by Grumsh and just, uh, you know, always chaotic evil uh, and just as this negative force. And with Eberron, we both wanted to sort of challenge that basic assumption, you know, move away from genetic alignment, as it were, um, but also to make them fundamentally different from goblins. You know, how were these these two things, you know, more than just the, the green bad guys? And so, first of all, we had the basic concept that uh, Corvair – the, the sort of primary continent where the action happens was originally home to the orcs and the goblins before humanity came there. Um, but even there, it was plain with the idea that the goblins, uh, are a more traditionally sort of a lawful, you know, inherently lawful people, even though they're not fixed in alignment that they have a nature that lends more towards logic, more towards hierarchy and organization, uh, and that, you know, this led them to the Dakani Empire. You know, they are people who seek to build nations, to build uh, structures, and that they built this empire that dominated the um, the continent – but at the also at the same time playing with this idea, but that they're also goblins are sort of inherently very pragmatic and have a lot of t- trouble with sort of abstract belief mm-hmm. uh, that they're very much about what they can see, what they uh, can touch. And so that the Dakani didn't really have divine magic. By contrast, we played with the idea that the orcs are very passionate, very emotional, very essentially inherently chaotic. Um, and that on the one hand, this meant they had never actually created a civilization to rival the Dakan, uh, because 
they were sort of an, a people inherently content to be at a tribal level. You know, they didn't sort of seek uh, to create sort of grander, greater structures. At the same time, also being uh, a people very sort of driven, you know, sort of by their more primal emotional nature uh, to uh, embrace both divine and primal magic. This led to this idea that the orcs are the sort of oldest druidic tradition in um, Elncorver, mm-hmm. uh, but also to the uh, the Gashkala up north. And we'll talk about all of these more specifically. But basically, it's playing to that idea of the orcs as very passionate, uh, very, you know, sort of quick to believe, or at least very driven by their beliefs. Not so much quick to believe, but, you know, when they believe in something, they believe it deeply. Right. Uh, but also playing to that idea that they are much more about loyalty to their friends, their family, their their pack, if you will, uh, than to grand nations or states or right. abstract concepts. Like it's a that. much tighter localization of that of that mm-hmm. loyalty, right? And the same can be said too, not just of the gatekeepers or the Gashkala, but even mm-hmm. cults of the dragon below. Absolutely. Right. And and this was again that sort of core idea of just saying that that one of the things that that defines, you know, the orcs is again uh strong in their belief and uh just again the idea is that an encounter with an orc or a goblin should feel very different or of course the kind of character you would play if you played either of those would be very different mm-hmm. yeah so you know and we 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 have a number of different orc cultures that mm-hmm. we're going to explore mm-hmm. um and we and we we are kind of touching on orcs of the shadow marches right now mm-hmm. Um, what do you say we start with that and, sure. and then we can kind of explore the others because there is a good degree of, of, uh, differentiation among these. And I think it's important to touch on all of these. So the basic idea sort of from the start was that the Dakani dominated the continent. And this meant that the orcs, uh, were essentially driven off to the edges, to the places that the Dakani didn't care about. So you have them in the demon wastes, you have them in the mountains, and you have them in the shadow marches, that the basically nobody has ever really wanted the west coast of Corvair. And so with the shadow marches, you have these deep, vast swamps. And the idea is that from you know ancient times you first had the oldest druidic traditions uh and it was these druids the gatekeepers who were crucial in actually defeating the dalkir mm-hmm. the lords of madness from zoriat when they came through they destroyed the dakani empire the dakan sort of fought them physically but it was ultimately the gatekeepers who were able to seal them in uh kyber mm-hmm. But at the same time, the idea is that rather than transforming the orcs the way that they did create the Dolgans, the Dolgrims, you know, from uh, goblins, that it was more that many among the orcs just embraced the cults of the dragon below, you know, just sort of joined in the uh, the Dalkir that way. Right. They didn't have to transform them. Like they, like they were already, Exactly right. Yeah. 
And so the idea is that you've always had, ever since, in the Shadow Marches, these two strong, opposed traditions, and yet not violently opposed most of the time because the conflict between them is sort of, you know, it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the gatekeepers maintain the seals. The Dalkir themselves aren't particularly sort of pushing their followers to get them out. So you have the cult, you know, the, you know, traditional cults, if you will, the gibbering cults, followers of Belashira, that they hold on to these Dalkir driven beliefs, but it's not like they're out to slaughter all the gatekeepers or anything mm -hmm. like that. Right. But that both of those are sort of set in the backdrop. Right. Uh, so we have, you know, we, we have that sort of history going on it, but then we also have the fact that out of the shadow marches came, uh, the mark of finding, right? we had the house, Therash having its roots there. Um, and there's an idea there as far as like where we have, we, we talked a little bit about this before we start recording where, um, you know, we have this sort of concept of like clans versus tribes, right? Because the idea is that. When humans came to Corvair, uh, the five nations were largely driven by two waves of colonization from Sarlona, but you also had people who came in the other direction, that following the Sundering, the event that shattered uh, the the, you know, uh, nations of Sarlona and created Ridra, that you did have refugees coming across, uh, from the West and landing in the Shadow Marches and basically integrating with the orcs of the Shadow Marches. Mm -hmm. And so this is this idea, you said clans, that there's sort of these two primary paths in the Shadow Marches. The tribes are the orcs primarily orcs, who have held very purely to their old traditions and have sort of shunned uh, contact with humanity and the world beyond the marches. Then you have the clans where humans and orcs have come together and created a new culture, sort of merging the traditions, you know, of old orc traditions to create something new. House the Rash came out of that. Mm -hmm. And again, that is where we get Zarashak, the city of stilts. Uh, you know, it's the first real major city in the Shadow Marches. Mm -hmm. And part of this is House Thrashk. It's the youngest uh, dragon-marked house. Uh, but the Mark of Finding, you know, initially it was neat for hunters and bounty hunters and inquisitives. But now they've sort of realized, oh, we can find dragon shards. Right. And that's money. And so the idea is suddenly Thrashk is becoming considerably wealthier and more powerful uh, sort of rapidly than it was. And that in and of itself is sort of pushing the clans into this more active. Suddenly they've got, you know, all this wealth coming in and what do they do with it? Right, right. It's sort of like like the uh, Nouveau Riche <laughs> kind of mentality, right? Like because they're, they're like the oil barons that have come up, you know um, – with this resource that's needed for the industry that's out there. It's exactly right. And, you know, to me, that's part of the fun of it is saying you have this, this culture, which to the rest of the world literally is a backwater. And yet at the same time, suddenly they have, you know, this incredibly powerful 
a useful thing mm-hmm. and or becoming, you know, sort of a major player. But at the same time, part of the idea is they are coming in and they aren't bound. You know, the dragon marked houses have built up all of these traditions and rules and, and relationships over the course of more than a thousand years that the Rashk is coming in and basically not really caring, you know, and saying, well, we're, we're here. We're going to do our own thing. Right. You know, it's one of the points that I've called out that typically, uh, the Rashk doesn't even use their house name as their name. You know, usually they just go ahead and, and call themselves, you know, Trask Velderin, uh, or, you know, uh, use the Ashta name or something like that, that they don't even bother following, uh, the Dragonmark convention. And so I see Tarashk, you know, part of what I like about them is this whole, yeah, they're a, you know, a house and they're powerful and yet they aren't really playing the same game as many of the other houses. Right. Right. Yeah, they're not. Then there's a, there's a sort of established uh, propriety, mm-hmm. I guess, among the other dragmark mm-hmm. houses that the house Therish doesn't necessarily adhere to. And so, to me, that's one of the fun things in looking to this as player or DM. But as a player, if you're playing an orc from the Shadow Marches, you know, let's sort of look to what those different paths mean. You know, the one hand, you can play a gatekeeper, and that's a great path for a druid, for a ranger, for a barbarian, and it gives you that inherent, if you're a gatekeeper, uh, you have a purpose. You are, you are here to protect the world from, uh, from the deprivations of the Dalkir. You may be trying to protect one of the seals. You may be searching for, you know, information about uh, the cults of the dragon below or, you know, sent out on a mission. But, you know, you'll have that clear mission. If you're uh, from the Rashk, you know, it is that sort of you can just play it straight as I'm an inquisitive or I'm a bounty hunter. But you can also play it as you're a member of this, you know, this house that, again, is up and coming and uh you're you're entering the world sort of looking at at how things should be different you know that again you're not bound by old tradition how do you want the world to be so i think it's important for anybody who you know maybe is new to eberron uh it's important to 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 explain that house the rask uh in the mark of finding is not associated with orcs per se but with half orcs and humans of of the shadow marches and that is a thing that I still sort of, you know, nowadays I, I sort of feel like uh, we probably should should have included an orc option for it as well. But it is a good point. Uh, we do say orcs, and the point is uh, I'm I'm folding half orcs and and humans into that. So yes, the mark of finding the dragon mark of finding. As it stands right now, manifests on humans and half orcs. We had a brief period with the Wayfinder's Guide where it was just half orcs, and what I was suggesting is, yeah, you may look human, you may look orc, right. uh, but you know mechanically you're a half orc. Mm-hmm. Um, the rising goes back to to saying human or half orc. Again, frankly. If someone came to me and said, I'm going to make a character who's a, a dragon marked half orc, but I want him to basically just be an orc, I would say, sure. Right. You know, I'm not going to, uh, hold to that. It is the case that the key point there does come to the role of half orcs, mm-hmm. which is in the past, half orcs, because orcs have been irredeemably evil, half orcs have often been sort of reviled and outcasts and all of that. 
Whereas here, what we're saying is actually uh, there's nothing particularly sort of strange or evil about half orcs, and uh, that by contrast, um, uh, that within the shadow marches and within places where humans and half orcs uh, and humans and orcs do cross paths, half orcs are actually sort of celebrated and seen as evidence of a connection between the two species, in part because we're playing to the idea that not a lot of different species can produce hybrids like that. We don't talk about half-goblins. We don't talk about half-dwarves. And on the one hand, you know, someone could say, well, in my campaign, I do have half-dwarves. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. But it is supposed to be part of the idea that actually half-orcs are, you know, remarkable, um, and so it's the same sort of thing as the Korovar in a sense, where rather than being these weird outcasts, uh, half orcs are sort of valued and, and embraced. Right. So right. House Thrashk in particular, that's the point. Orc, uh, half orc or human, you're all following this path. Right. Now, stepping back to what I was saying before, it is a good point as an orc from, uh, Thrashk. It is still, you know, is the case that you probably don't have the dragon mark, uh, but that still doesn't change the fact that you can think about, well, what is your role in the house? Uh, and you can still be, for example, you know, a bounty hunter or an enforcer mm-hmm. or for that matter, you know, a druid. Right. Uh, you know, the gatekeepers do actually have a presence within uh, Thrashk and they're trying to sort of essentially ensure that as the house gains power – that power is being used essentially for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's another role to play. Right, right. So you could you could still, as a player, for example, playing an org, you could still be a member of uh, House Thrash or, you know, one of their guilds and whatnot without any issue, really. Right, so. and this is the point, is you could be a member of, of one of the guilds, and as I said, you could be a member of House Thrash and be a gatekeeper. Right. Those two things are not the ideas if you're in both – it means that, well, you're trying to embrace the modern path. You're not going to be as sort of focused and isolated as a tribal gatekeeper. Right. right. But you're still, you know, believe in the old ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the other point is that you can also play a uh, an orc who is tied to one of the cults of the dragon below. Uh, you know, one of the old cults uh, we call the, the cult of the inner sun. And it's the belief that there's essentially a paradise within the world, uh, you know, a paradise in Kyber, uh, and that you earn your, your path, uh, to the inner sun, uh, essentially by defeating worthy foes. And part of the point of this is to say, well, this is a essentially violent tribe, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, can fit that, oh, I, I want a group of orcs who are, uh, dangerous and can be antagonists. At the same time, it's also saying, well, they're seeking worthy foes. You know, that doesn't have to be just random, you know, people and that you could certainly play an orc barbarian who essentially is traveling across the world seeking, you know, the worthy opponents. To enemies, yeah. you know, seeking to earn your path to the inner sun. Right. And, you know, that's just one option for if you just want to play just a sort of classic, you know, orc barbarian. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a really good segue, I think, into exploring the other, well, maybe not the Goshkala, but at least the orcs of Drum 
and the George Tar of the Iron Root Mountains, mm-hmm. um, who do sort of fill that role uh, of the you know just savage orc that is possible, you know, likely or good chance that it's evil, not necessarily evil, but you know, a threat of some sort. Now, yeah, I think I think that's the issue is that evil. In Eberron, we try not to to sort of equate those two things automatically. Right, right. You know, the point with the Jorashtar is that the Jorashtar are presented as being in opposition to the dwarves. The, the Jorashtar have been fighting uh, with the Maror off and on uh, sort of forever. Uh, but the point to me is that doesn't mean they're evil. That means both they, you know, any more than the dwarves are evil. Because we also say the Moranin and the Joranin, uh, you know, clans actually fight them. So I think sort of both sides have been the aggressors at different points in history. And it's essentially saying it's not that they're evil. It's that they fight for the reasons people fight in our world. You know, they're fighting over contested territory. They're fighting because, you know, you destroyed our sacred statue. They're fighting, you know, for these sort of reasons. And so to me, it's that the Jorgenthal certainly exist – excuse me, the uh, Jorashtar, you know, certainly exist as these are – Orcs that are easy as antagonists, but that doesn't actually mean they're evil. And it does, you know, following the the whole principle of Eberron is ideally you get to the situation, you're like, okay, we're going to, you know, trash these orcs. And you might suddenly come to the realization that uh, actually they've got a really good claim in this situation. Right. That kind of right. you're the guys being the jerks here. Um, right. It and, brings a sense of empathy, you know, for right. their situation. Yeah. And and that that's up to the game master. You know, you can just use them as simple antagonists. But it is that point of saying within the Maror clans, there are clans that want, you know, or like, why haven't we just wiped them out? And there's clans saying they should be given the rights. They should be have a seat on the Iron Council. And it's really up to the players and the game master. Where do you want to go with that? Right. Do you want to just consider, you know, I just want orcs for my dwarf to fight? Or do you want to consider that actually they may be, you know, uh, unjustly oppressed people who have, you know, just as much right uh, to the mountains as the dwarves do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's plenty of real world situations that are just as similar that you can draw inspiration from right. in terms of that complexity. And, you know, frankly, part of the, the basic point to it is that I do feel when you ultimately look at it, it likely comes down to just, oh, we're more sympathetic to dwarves because we're more sympathetic to dwarves. Right. But that actually the Jorah Star, if anything, probably have, you know, a stronger uh, sort of claim, you know, that that I suspect when you actually get down to it, their uh, their situation is more sympathetic. Right. And it's just a question of, well, are you going to stop and look at it? Yeah. Right. So let's uh let's swing back westward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Again, toward the Shadow Marches, but not quite there. Droam. Mm-hmm. Right? We know that there's orcs there and they and they they sort of fall into the hierarchy of, you know, like survival of of uh or not survival of the fittest. Um I guess power, you know, power by might. Yeah, I mean the basic idea with the orcs of Droam is similar to the goblins mm-hmm. that uh there are goblins in Droam but they aren't part of the Takani, they aren't, you know, even part of the Galdar uh, of it's just saying that in the region of Droam you had a diverse range of uh species and that essentially 
in many places, they have just been metropolitan for a long time. Mm-hmm. That you have had groups like the Knolls who did keep themselves uh, isolated by species. You know, the Knolls have a very defined Knoll culture. Uh, but that largely orcs, kobolds, even shifters just kind of all merged together. Uh, and so you would have areas where a particular powerful leader just sort of forged, uh, you know, I'd say a clan, but again, clan usually implies family relationship. And I'm just saying a unit, you know, uh, out of the people who they would bend to their will. Um, and, and so that's the point is that orcs are in Droem. Uh, they don't have, again, a clearly defined species culture. Uh, they are just part of the general backdrop of, uh, the warlords, uh, that have been in the region. Right. So in your opinion, what, what kept those orcs in Droem? Why did they not just go west to say the shadow marches? Why would be my sort of point is Mm -hmm. that I think over time you had orc warlords, you know, uh, that basically the land was perfectly good, if anything, better than the shadow marches. And so, you know, uh, one decade you're oppressed by an ogre or a minotaur and the next decade you're oppressing the ogre or the minotaur. Uh, and that every now and then, you know, some uh, Oni comes along and inspires you all and you forge a great you know, tribe that to me, it's just uh, they didn't leave because, you know, it's not like, again, there was a reason to believe things were going to be better down south. Right, right. At least they um, had some amount of power where they right. were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the point is Droam just didn't have a lot of lasting you know, nations, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it was, you know, just miserable. Right. Uh, it means that there was a sense of, of transition, transformation, people rising, people falling, uh, you know, sort of it was more dynamic, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we were to go into a lot more detail about it, we could say, well, like, who was, you know, there probably was a, you know, inspiring orc warlord two centuries ago. Uh, who did unite people and they rose up and, you know, enslaved the, you know, the trolls or, you know, something like that, that there's probably a lot more history in the microcosm of Droam uh, than we've ever dealt with. It's just that, again, it was a chaotic blender that, you know, nothing ever really lasted other than things like uh, Kazakh Drawl, right. you know, and such. So moving a little northward then, um, when we're talking about the Goshkala you know, over in the, or on the, I guess on the edges of the demon wastes, really. Yes. Um, historically, what, what brought the orcs there? And, so yeah. let's actually look at, at that a little more broadly too. Yeah. We talk about the Gashkala. It's worth noting that there were orcs in the demon wastes as well, which are just part of the Carrion tribes. Mm-hmm. So the demon wastes, the primary inhabitants are orcs and humans. Uh, and it's just that the orcs in the wastes, uh, you know, are again, it's the same way that you have gatekeepers and you have cults of the dragon below. Uh, so the Gashkala are called out because they are more compelling as player characters. Uh, but there are also, you know, orcs serving Rock Tolkesh and, right. uh, 
you know, uh, in the demon wastes along with humans. The humans came from Sarlona. And again, same thing. They came from the West. They crashed on the shores of the demon wastes and ended up just spreading out. Um, but the orcs were already there. And part of the idea, this is the, the slightly crazy thing about the Gashkala is, well, in theory, the Gashkala have just been there for as long as there have been orcs. And one of the questions is, how long have there been orcs? Uh, so, you know, a, a crazy concept is to say, well, the orcs were created by Rock Tolkesh and uh, have been around since the Age of Demons, which would make them the oldest uh, humanoid mm-hmm. civilization. Um, a, you know, less... Now, and the thing to say about that is, again, part of the character of the orcs is they don't they aren't inclined to build vast civilizations. They don't build empires. Uh, and so you could potentially say they have just been around doing their thing for tens of thousands of years. And that, uh, you know, the Gashkala have just been there continuously since the Coatl essentially placed them there. Right. Um, the long answer is we don't know, you know, because it's again – they have been there as long as recorded history is, but they didn't do writing. So they don't know how long they've been there. <laughs> right. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah, they yeah. have been there. They have always been there. Right. Um, and it's one of those things where the main case is, does it really matter? You know, but the idea is that the Gashkala, again, since we've thrown around the term, we haven't really explained it. Sure. Yeah. The Demon Wastes is – the, you know, one of the, the worst places on, uh, Corvair. It is filled with, uh, passages to Kyber, uh, and a lot of free roaming, uh, fiends, as well as, uh, Ashtakala, the, the seat of the Lords of Dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it is cordoned off by a range of mountains with passages through them commonly called the labyrinth, a passage of, you know, a series of canyons that go through them. Uh, the principle is some sort of ancient primal magic prevents things, evil things, from leaving uh, the demon wastes by water or air. And so that to get out of the wastes, they have to go through the labyrinth. The Gashkala, or orcs, Devoted to the silver flame, though they call it the binding flame, mm-hmm. call it shash, uh, and that they have guarded the passages of the labyrinth since time immemorial. Um, and so the point of the Gashkala is they are a order of the silver flame far, far older than the human church of the silver flame. Uh, and that they have also been sort of continually, literally fighting demons, uh, throughout their history, that they are on the front line of a war against supernatural evil that most folks in Thrain can't even imagine. Um, one of the things I have always called out is because of how inhospitable the demon wastes are, uh, I have made the, theory that I believe to survive, they actually have to forage in Kyber, that they basically go into the demi-planes of Kyber to get the food and resources they need. 
Uh, and so, you know, they are very much sort of on this front line of crazy supernatural evil most people can't imagine. Um, first off, if you're going to the demon wastes, you have to deal with them one way or another. Uh, and they'll let you in. They just won't let you out. Right. <laughs> so you have to convince them, uh, you know, figure out how to get by them or convince them to let you leave. Uh, but also it's a very valid, interesting path for player characters. Uh, I myself actually for in an extended campaign played a uh, half-orc uh, Gashkala Paladin essentially sent south to, you know, follow a quest. Um, and part of what I liked about it was, again, sort of playing the – I was in a party with – a cleric of the silver flame, uh, uh, arcane archer who was sort of flavoring it as, as being tied to the silver flame. And I was very much playing it with the sort of, ah, you, you know, you people don't even, don't even know the real evil that's out there. Right. You know, yes, soft, uh, Easterners. Um, but it is, you know, as I said, interesting to play to that. You are part of the same basic tradition. But that the Gashkala have a much sort of harder view of the Silver Flame. Uh, because, you know, with Thrain, I always really sort of emphasize the compassionate nature uh, and such. And with Gashkala, you have the this is life or death. Right. You know, we are the, the, the edge of the spear against uh, immortal terror. Much grittier uh, sort of outlook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, life or death, like this is, we're dealing with end of the world type stuff. But also playing to that passionate belief too, mm -hmm. that, you know, they think nothing of, you know, this is a cause worth dying for. Right. Uh, and that they have done it, you know, they have basically sat there on the edge of the worst place in the, the continent. You know, it comes back to your, what kept the, the drawing works in drone. Well, really what keeps the Gashkala there? And it's simply because it is their duty and someone's got to do it. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, speaking to rising of the last war with, uh, group patrons, I think it could be an excellent form of a group patron. If you wanted to have a campaign that was focused on the demon waste itself. Well, the demon wastes, you know, it is a really interesting concept of, of like I, I said, one of these days, I'm afraid it's not something that's in exploring Eberron. And I wish that it was. It's, it's, you know, there's so many things I would like to cover. But the demon waste to me, you know, is such an interesting uh, place in part because of the whole idea that it's not just the physical wastes. It's that it's filled with sort of holes into demiplanes. That, you know, essentially the demon waste is as close to the abyss as you get in Eberron mm -hmm. uh, because it is just built atop layers of supernatural alien realms. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to go into demon waste, but I think we'd be getting off topic yeah. with that. <laughs> but there's yeah, so many absolutely. questions I, I, I would mm -hmm. have about that um, yep, in yep. terms of ideas. Um, so – uh, yeah, so, all right, so we talked about Orcs of Droim, we talked about the Iron Room Mountains, the George Star, we talked about uh, the Half Orcs, the Gashkala, and the Shadow Marches. Um, and I think what's, what's great about all these things, and, that, and anybody who's in a Brown fan will tell you that, um, basically this, this is a great way of, of having Orcs feel different. They're not just the evil race that, you know, you just go in and you kill because they're in a dungeon or something like that. Um, there's there's a lot of really good complexity here for and, yeah 
Yeah, and what I like is when you take both the gatekeepers and the Gashkala, they are both two of the most devoted champions of mm-hmm. light in the setting. Uh, and frankly, part of the point is that they aren't a bigger part of it because they aren't asking for your help. You know, they right, think this right. is this is their job to do. Right. And it's their fight. Uh, and that, you know, you don't you're not tough enough for this human, you know, essentially. Well, they've been doing it far longer than the humans have even been there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um Yeah, so I, I think um yeah, it just it just sort of cuts away that that whole concept of like, well, you can't be an orc because you're you'd be bad and nobody would like you and, and so on and so forth. Um, go ahead. I, I think it, it does come to the 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 meme that you pulled up. I don't know if we're going to have that in uh, the show notes. Oh, I'll not. definitely link to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just where it it shows a a sort of big orc with a great sword, looking savage with a a Valinar uh, elf with a double scimitar, a scimitar, uh, sort of writing him down. And do you remember the the caption off the top of your head? Yeah, uh, one of it, one of them is from an ancient druidic culture dedicated to preserving the world from nameless horrors. The other is a rovering marauder looking for a fight. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and usually, and of course, yeah. it's the elf. Right. <laughs> uh, which I do have to say that that one of the, the – cam, you know, this was goblins instead of orcs, but one of the um, one-shots I used to run at conventions, you know, was you were a, a essentially Dakani strike force and had to, to take on a group of Valinar who had turned to the dragon below. Uh, and part of the whole point was it of it was saying, yeah, you're goblins, but you're the heroes, and you've got to fight these horrible, you know, corrupted right. dwar- I mean, elves. Right. Um. So, so I do like what I like about it is changing expectations. That on the one hand, you have the orcs as uh, people who can be heroes as as often as they're villains. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I still like the fact that they're still rooted in traditional orcs. We are still playing to the idea that they are strong, that they are passionate, that they, you know, sort of, again, are more chaotic by nature uh, than some uh, forces, that in many cases, they are somewhat uh, barbaric. In part, again, going back to that idea, because they aren't particularly drawn towards civilization, uh, but that none of those things stop them from also, again, being champions who defend the world. And uh, and real quick before we continue, I do want to give credit where credit is due. And that was it was Wayne that actually dropped that in there. Uh, but unfortunately, he, he couldn't make it. He had some family issues come up. But, um, but yeah, he was the one that actually threw that into the uh, the show notes for us. It's, so. It's, so thanks, a, Wayne. it's a good one. Thanks, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think the sorry, I, I had a thought about the, the half works too, with regards to, um, you know, typically in D and D when you played a half orc, you were the outsider mm-hmm. and here in Eberron, you're the one that people trust. Right. Right. Like whether you're human, uh, whether it's, you know, humans or, or orcs, they trust you. You're, you're mm-hmm. the bridge between the two, but also the half orcs are, are much more common, you know, than in say traditional 
D and D settings because you know nothing wrong with being uh, being in a relationship with an orc. Exactly, exactly. So it's not like this weird thing like you're a weird creature. It's no, it's like you're just half orc. You're from the Shadow Marchers. All right, cool. You know, moving mm-hmm. on. Um, so I think that's that's really refreshing as well. You know, you don't have to have some sort of awkward conversation of how did you come to be. <laughs> yeah, and and for example, when I played my half orc Gashkala. That was a little odder because humans aren't as common there. But, right. you know, again, the idea is they will, you know, it's sort of like the Foreign Legion. If some human shows up and wants to fight, uh, you know, fight evil, okay. Right. Uh, and, you know, and that was where I, I uh, came from is I did come up with a little story of, oh, here's who my dad was and what he was doing there. Right. That's great. Um, but, but yeah, within the Shadow Marches, it's just, you know, that's that's a Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something? No, go on. Oh, no. So I'm thinking for, for players, uh, you know, wh- whether you're new to, to, to Eberron or, you know, a veteran, we'll say, of Eberron, um, you know, I think it's interesting that if, if you're you – can, you can approach playing an orc or a half-orc for that matter uh, from different perspectives. One being like, okay, I want to play a certain type of character. Maybe they come from a tradition of, you know, protectors. And then you can point to, you know, you got two resources that you can point to. Um, so, you know, and so I think that's, yeah, that's a fun and, way to, to approach that. And I think, I mean, the thing to me is I would say this with any non-human race is I would still play to the embrace the, the inhuman aspect, you know, find what makes you different. And so that's the point. If I'm playing, you know, an orc or a half orc, I'm going to play to being more impulsive, to being more primal, uh, both, you know, in the, oh, I'm going to take more chances or such, but also in the trust your instinct, trust your gut, uh, and believe the things you believe, you know, strongly. Right. You know, and, uh, this is back to the whole idea, whether it's orcs, goblins, humans, you know, these shouldn't just feel like a human with green skin. Right. You know, and try and think about whether it's your traditions uh, of your culture, whether it's how you approach the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, again, uh, embrace it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, if you're playing a passionate orc, you're going to go do stupid things because no, not at all. Um, it just means that whatever you do with intent is with intent. You right. know, it's it's with with, you know, uh, a drive, uh, mm-hmm. not just overzealousness in general. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, and I think it's worth exploring too. Like, you know, what are the, what are the different, like, did you come from the, from Joram? Did you come from, you know, the Iron Room Mountains or, you know, Shadow Marches or whatever, or even, you know, Demon Ways. So, I mean, just looking to players, uh, you know, player characters, mm-hmm. Gatekeeper's obviously a very easy, yeah. uh, path. There's all sorts of ways you could go to that. Sure. Thrashk is, uh, gives you a lot of options, uh, in the Kabara campaign I've run. Uh, I've had quite a few, you know, a couple of times where people have gone with, you know, the orc or half orc, uh, you know, bounty hunter with ties to Thrashk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go with the, again, Gashkala on a sacred mission. Uh, but, you know, also the idea of, of a Jorstar orc from, uh, the mountains. And the question is, is it just you've left your culture behind? Is it that you are actually trying to find allies, right. uh, to support your people, mm-hmm. uh, against the Murar? Uh, you know, again, if you're a Jorstar, part of the question is, why are you an adventurer? What has brought you out into the world? Right. 
right? Especially from a people who might need you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and you know that's that would be to me a very interesting path to take to say you're trying to build up a, a group of allies strong enough that you can you know go back and make a difference uh, in the Warholds. So when you all were were working on designing Ebron, and you know you're going through the different monstrous races and such, mm-hmm. and when you got to the orcs, you know you, you yeah you, you know you came up with the gatekeepers and so on and so forth. How did you come to those decisions? as far as selecting where they were going to be placed and what role they played either in the history or in the current world? Well, again, I mean, it was the the two sides. The first was that idea that they're in the corners, they're in the edges, mm-hmm. you know, that basically first the, the goblins drove them out. Then humans came and drove the goblins out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's still that idea because part of that point is, was wanting a place for the traditional, again, barbaric orc, mm. if you will, mm-hmm. but a place that actually makes sense within the world, that there's a reason they're barbarians, right. if that makes any sense, right. and that it's interesting. That it, uh, and at the same time, through the clans in, uh, the shadow marches, the chance to say, yeah, or you can be the totally not even remotely barbaric orc. Mm-hmm. You know, in my Kabara campaign, the richest guy in town, you know, the is the uh is a, a Thrash Gork who's basically like the the corporate mastermind. Right. You know, and again, sure, he doesn't have the dragon mark himself, but you know, he's a a brilliant uh business person who manages the money. Yeah. And so again, you can have that on the one hand, the devoted Gashkala crusader. And on the other hand, you can have Thrashk money, man. Right. Right. So essentially it's, it's how does the story of the world help explain this barbaric race, you know, and, uh, and then of course making it fit into that, that lore. Right. And how is it interesting, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, again, which I think comes to both the Gashkala and the gatekeepers mm-hmm. of how do you take the sure This is technically an orc barbarian, but how do you say, and it's one of the most interesting characters you could play, you know, it's back to that defenders, you know, the, uh, that orc with the great sword standing, defending the world against ancient evils. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes to the idea of the shadow marches with the gatekeepers. That whole idea, you know, both the gatekeepers and the Gashkala are defending the five nations against evils the five nation, nations doesn't even realize exist. Right. That they hold, they are seen as barbaric by the others, but they also possess ancient knowledge that the, you know, other nations don't even realize they should know. So that, uh, you know, we, we've, we've had an episode on the Draconic Prophecy in the past. And, you know, we're talking about the Demon Waste and, the, you know, Ashtagon, Lords of Dust and so on. How much involvement would you say, if any, would the Gashkala, for example, have with the Draconic Prophecy? Um, or even awareness me, of it? Part of the issue with the Draconic Prophecy that is tricky about it is because we talk about uh, that it's very hard for mortal races to track it mm-hmm. because it's so big and so broad. Right. And orcs are even shorter lived than humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I would not position them as having uh, 
an inherent understanding of it. They're not, to me, going to be decrypting sort of new pieces of it. On the other hand, they're quite plausible as people who have preserved pieces that have long been sort of stated, you know, that the gatekeepers were told by Varek, you know, long ago, 8,000 years from now, this thing's going to happen and you got to deal with it. And they've right. been waiting ever since. Right. You know, so to me, I could certainly see them, as I said, as holding on to pieces of knowledge of the, you know, this is the thing, is that what we say about the prophecy is it's a living thing. It changes. It changes. Right. It is not simply something where someone could have written it all completely down because, well, then, you know, a hundred years later, it's all going to be out of date. Mm-hmm. However, certainly I could see gatekeepers having a small list of these are three things, you know, these are things you have to watch out for. If this happens and that happens, you need to do this. Right. Uh, that, you know, basically someone had set them up with a, here's a series of, of essentially someone who does know the prophecy has set them up with a list of things that you have to, to watch for. Right. Um, also part of the point is the prophecy. There's this line between prophecy and oracles. And the point is the draconic prophecy is the draconic prophecy with, with all capital letters, mm-hmm. but we still have oracles like Soracatra. And I have nothing wrong with having a gatekeeper druid with oracular abilities. That doesn't mean that, you know, the prophecy, people who manipulate the prophecy are generally doing it through a scientific method. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. The idea is that the chamber and the lords of dust are looking at it like a giant matrix. Right. And they are piecing it all out. That doesn't stop the idea that you have a gatekeeper who is intuitively through their faith receiving a vision, mm-hmm. you know, that is just, an, you know, and, and that that is driving something. Yeah, I think it sounds like the difference being a proactive involvement, which is what I would imagine the Lords of Dust and the Dragons uh, engaging with, versus a reactive. Right. right. Saying that there is a gatekeeper orc who has a vision of the prophecy and what must be done uh, makes perfect sense. The The thing with the Lords of Dust in the chamber is they're literally trying to use it and manipulate it. And right. that's what requires that greater understanding than most mortals can have right yeah thousands of years of of perspective and yeah yeah cool um man i'm trying to think of anything else that we might want to mention about works but i will say you know with the gatekeepers some of the fun things that have come up over the time is so on the one hand you can have that sort of vision um one of the things I've always liked is the idea that we've called out that the gatekeepers are protecting the seals that hold the Dalkir at bay. Right. Uh, we have this concept of, oh, a seal is a big stone thing, you know, or something like that. But we've also said, well, some of them may be, but some of them could be entirely different. You know, one could be an amulet that someone's got to carry this amulet. One could be a bloodline. You know, and so, for example, I had a player character in one of my campaigns who was a gatekeeper druid who was carrying this amulet, that the idea is this is one of the seals and that they had to basically take it around the continent. You know, they had to keep it in motion. Um, and that that was sort of the driving thing from their character. Uh, but it was also sort of fun because it was like this, 
And, and basically what we did is we treated it sort of like a legacy item. At the start of the campaign, they didn't really have access to its powers. But over time, they began to sort of learn how to use the, the magic of the seal to do things. Oh, neat. Um, That's really cool. But it was a fun way to say, you know, let's sort of give you this inherent mission that you have to do. And again, the idea that the seal had to go places – so it wasn't simply like, why aren't they just locking this up in the safest vault in the world? It's because they can't. It has to, to move around, you know. Um, so that was fun. And again, playing to that idea that they're part of an older tradition than people understand. Yeah. Yeah, I ran a, uh, a con game uh, a couple times where uh, it involved, you know, a seal in the shadow marches. Uh, but it started in Sharn where there was an artifact, of course, on display in uh, – uh, Oh god, I forgot the name of the museum in um Morgrave. Uh and, Davina, I think. Yeah. And uh mm-hmm. and it and it started with, you know, one of the main NPCs, you know, charging out of there with this thing in her hand, and the players are like, you know, she runs into the players and runs past them, and then all of a sudden there's a shout of like thief, and it's like mm-hmm. a chase mm-hmm. starts, you know, and then but then it there's that whole thing where as the players learn more then, you know, they change their attitude and their perspective. They start helping her, you know, all these things. And, uh, but it was a great way, an easy way, you know, tying this artifact to, uh, to the shadow marshes and bringing them there, you know. And, and to me, that can be sort of part of the fun of playing to the orcs as, as I said, as a more inherently, if you will, chaotic people, mm-hmm. uh, is part of that idea that what you, intuitively instinctively value are your friends your family your close traditions and that you'd have that sort of why why should i follow the laws of this museum like they don't know what they have they don't understand how dangerous it is i'm doing the right thing right exactly and i don't care that some person i'm never going to meet you know made this rule um, and, and so it's, it's back to that focus on, on the, the sort of smaller picture yeah. in a way that yeah. they aren't really concerned with the big picture beyond things like, again, protecting the entire world from the, you know, the, uh, the Dalkir. Right. Yeah. Like that your, your law, this thing is bigger than your laws. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that would be where I'd say as well, they're, they're concerned, both the Gashkala and the Gatekeeper, with, yes, laws that are far bigger than anything any mortal could create. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, uh, it seems like I, uh, that covers up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, I, and we mentioned this when we talked about Rising. Um, I think it's really cool that there's a lot more emphasis on orcs as a player race. Um, and uh, there's a lot to explore there, uh, just as we've discussed. Yeah. I, I am very happy with that. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, again, that was always one of the original ideas with Eperon was that orcs and goblins should be uh, player races. And that is something Rising improved upon the Volos uh, path mm-hmm. to make them yeah. more compelling. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I like that hook on, the, on that passionate side. Yeah. I mean, there's so much so much potential. You definitely explore it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there you can, you can do in the setting. So, uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, so thank you for listening. Be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show and join us next time when we are going to discuss the treaty of Thronehold and, uh, all its implications. So until next time, keep exploring.